Well, it's been a blessing, a privilege to have Eric Chapman here with us uh, this week, and of course Elizabeth as well, and I appreciate his ministry to us, and uh, so rather you come and preach to us, everybody's full, trying to keep them awake. Yes, Elizabeth said that she heard that they call it the graveyard shifts in preaching. <laughs> I had never heard that. I don't. I don't think it'll be that way. I appreciate you being here, and I think that by God's grace, we can learn something even at 2 o'clock or 3 or whatever time it is. Oh, I have to look right there, 2.40. Um, it's, it's been a privilege. I, I The longer we go, the, the, the more comfortable I feel, the more I know you. I think, uh, of course, Calvary, I'm very happy that you're here. I think I know almost everybody from Calvary, but I'm still learning some of the folks from Lighthouse and... Uh, most of you I've figured out or I've asked somebody else, so who is this person? And I've tried to figure out the connections of who is who. And uh, it's been a blessing to be with you. I thank you. I'm, I'm going to share something I, I debated with myself. I, was, I talked to myself periodically and uh, whether I should say this or not. But I'm going to go ahead and say it. Um, this is the first time I've ever been invited to speak every time for a missions conference. Usually, I, I grew up in the mission board you know what? I'll bet my microphone's still off, isn't it? I grew up in the mission board system, and uh, although I generally take the road less traveled, I uh, and therefore I was always under a local church, and was very much against the idea of mission boards. Even when I ran in those circles, I I was always kind of disappointed as a missionary when it was the big names that came in for the missions conferences. And the missionaries were relegated to, um, a, a, they just didn't have an opportunity to share their heart. <laughs> okay, I'm not saying, those guys are better preachers than I am, you know that now. Um, <laughs> and uh, there, there's no question that there's a reason why they were there. They, they were the better speakers. They actually understand the English audiences and that kind of thing. So, but um, I've considered it a great privilege to get to be here this week with you and uh, <clears throat> I've, I've learned. Actually, I also wondered whether I should say this or not, but I'm, I'm going to. One of you here uh, said something to me after message number after message number two. This brother connected message number one, which was about prayer, with message number two, which was about meeting the emotional needs of one another and of missionaries, and uh, said something that has stuck with me ever since. And I appreciate that. I learned something I didn't preach and that he preached to me, and uh, that was a great blessing. Uh, I probably won't forget that until I get dementia. And so I, uh, I, I appreciate that, and, and it's a challenge to my heart. I'm still, I'm still cogitating on that and trying to uh, develop, okay, Lord, it's obvious that, that that was a true connection between our need to pray and the emotional attachment that we have to each other, and then God's emotional attachment to us and our relationship with Him. And so that was really good. I appreciate that. I've, I've liked the fellowship with you all, and I thank you for that. I thank you for being faithful to the Lord. And uh, I, I, I'm just happy that the Lord arranged this and let it work out. Um, we don't typically... I've had a standing invitation to be in one missions conference, not as a keynote speaker for a long time, but because of the timing of it, it just never worked out. It was always November. 
And it's the middle of the school year, and it's just not a convenient time for us to be in the States. And so it never worked. And uh, so really it's been a long time since I've been in mission conferences other than simply to drop in and drop out. And uh, so that was, uh, this has been great. I also appreciated the music. Thank you for all of you that have participated in that and all of you who corralled all the crockpots and uh, all the ingredients and did such a great job with the food. I, uh, I was thinking, I, I didn't know. Apparently in my youth, we had sung the song, Oh Jesus, I Have Promised. When we got to Lithuania, it was already translated into Lithuanian, and uh, we sing it often. I, I think of it, and I like it, as a baptismal song to sing at the time of a baptism. In relation to what I will preach to you today, I wanted to quote the second verse, not because I actually... Well, I'm going to quote the verse, and I'll tell you why. Oh, let me feel thee near me, the world is ever near. I see the sights that dazzle, the tempting sounds I hear. My foes are ever near me, around me and within. But Jesus, draw me nearer and shield my soul from sin. Our theme today is this. Every single one of us can be used of God to reach people. I, this is not a deep theological treatise. This is more of an encouragement that you, regardless of who you are, if you are born again, are usable. And God can use you. Uh, we are laborers together with God. And most likely the we that Paul was speaking of there was, was him and his co-workers. Um, we can take it on ourselves as well as we labor together with the Lord. I want to inspire every Christian listening that God can use him or her to get the gospel out. It's going to take some creativity, especially nowadays. It may take different creativity than we've thought of before to some degree, but the basics are all the same. And the basic criteria is surrender, willingness, and, and doing something about what you're willing to do. I want to point out, I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 12, uh, verses, I guess I'll read all the way through 13 maybe. This is the beginning of the message, so I have lots of time and no one is snoring yet. So we can, we can read a longer passage. Not that the scriptures would bore you at all. But I do know that after you've eaten, it is harder to pay attention. They claim that even the great pulpiteer Spurgeon didn't like to preach the afternoon service. And in his day, apparently, they always had three services a day. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday afternoon, and every Sunday evening. And uh, he was in favor of canceling the afternoon one. Uh, so, I will read to you from Romans chapter 12. You can follow along in your, in your Bibles. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. 
Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, and honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. The reason I read this, of course, we could preach on this passage alone, and there would be plenty for us uh, about us presenting our bodies. Probably when you heard it, that's what you were thinking I was going to emphasize, but that's not it. What I want to point out is that each one of you has a spiritual gift, and those spiritual gifts are diverse. There are seven of them listed here. I believe there are seven that are still in effect. And I think that certain gifts get emphasized, and other gifts get played down. And some of you, depending on what your spiritual gift is, may feel as if you cannot spread the gospel, when in fact the gospel is for all of us to spread, regardless of gifting. I have been blessed to learn that God uses people with all of these gifts in many different roles. It doesn't mean that the pastor always has to be the one that has a gift of prophecy. There have been godly used, massively used men that have preached that did not have that spiritual gift. They had the gift of mercy, or they had the gift of exhortation, or they had the gift of giving, or the gift of ruling, and so forth. So, I want to encourage you that God gave you a gift. Now, there's a whole theology to this. There's a lot to understand. I have not gotten my mind around all of it by any means. I believe that every believer has a gift. Every believer has to use the gift. And I also believe that every giver, every, every believer when using his gift, he actually does that with, with almost automatic joy. It's, can I say it this way? It's his sweet spot. It's where, it's where, yeah, that's what, we have to learn and discipline ourselves to do everything God wants us to do. And the Lord Jesus evidenced all of these gifts in perfect balance, and we won't. But you have a special gift because God can use you with that gift. And he can use it in other ways besides just evangelism, although that's what I'm talking about today. But sometimes there are people who think that because I have the gift of serving, I see people that, that have a need and I just want to help them out, that, that I'm not much about talking. You know what? Sometimes those of us that are much about talking not only don't accomplish much, but can do some damage with all that talking. Whereas a guy who's serving, who just comes alongside and is there, he may say two sentences and accomplish more than an exhorter or a prophet or someone else might accomplish with, you know, a whole message. <laughs> and so don't downplay it. Use your gift. And I, I wanted to point out what, what I think, how I interpret these gifts. Prophecy is forthtelling, a highly motivated person to authoritatively tell people what that person, what the prophet knows. Ministry is serving, highly motivated to help people out. He that teaches, he informs from research, highly motivated to find out and tell people precise information. The one that exhorted, exhorteth challenges in a motivating way, highly motivated to tell people to do things and how to do them. Uh, a person who gives, shares physical stuff, highly motivated to meet needs. He that ruleth, organizes, assigns tasks, highly motivated to organize and make sure things get done. He that showeth mercy cares for emotional and physical hurts, highly motivated to relieve pain. All of those things are needed. And you all, who are believers, have what it takes to use those gifts to impact people who are not believers. 
Because those gifts are not just given. They're given for you to serve in the church, but they're not just given for in the church. They're given to you as your, as your special spot so that you can reach and beyond the church to other folks. And so I want to encourage you that it doesn't really matter what your gift is, you can be used. I'm going to tell a few examples. This is kind of this afternoon message. This is kind of the, the sermon light version. Um, it won't be super heavy, so I'll give you a few more examples. Uh, I had a friend, a dear friend, that we roomed together after we graduated from college. His gift, I, I've never talked to him about this. I'm just telling you what I think his gift was. His gift was the gift of serving. He was just one of those guys that if something needed to be done, he had to do it. And he was just dying to do it. And he got a kick out of doing it. I mean, he would work at his church doing anything that needed to be done. And and it just it was natural to him. Nobody had to ask him twice or even him to come to a work day. I mean, he would be there and ready to go at it. Um, he he uh, was in the, the Christian college with... And he, he got a trade degree in construction. And uh, that fit him perfectly. He loved to go help people, build church buildings, build parsonages, do whatever, help anybody. And uh, he applied to a, and this is not an endorsement of mission boards, okay? So don't misinterpret this. But he applied, being one of those of us who grew up in that particular bubble, um, he applied to a mission board to become a missionary. And the whole point of why I'm telling you this is that I believe they totally, totally missed the boat. He applied. They told him you have to take this theological test. And he took this theological test and flunked it. They told him you have to take this theological test again. And he flunked it again. And they told him you can't be a missionary. I would have loved to have worked with him on the field. You know, he knew he was saved. He knew who Jesus was. He knew he was killed, that he was buried, that he rose again. He didn't know a whole lot of theological terms and probably struggled to write some of that stuff down and remember it all. But he could serve like nobody's business and they wouldn't let him. And I'm ticked. <laughs> I think that was criminal. I think they should have sent him and I would have taken him. What I'm saying is you may not measure up by somebody's standard. But if you're doing what God wants you to do and you actually shine in your gifting area, God can use you and you can shine. That guy could have worked alongside people on the field somewhere, whether it was Mexico or Peru or South Africa or, or Africa or in Europe. Wherever he was working, they would have known he loved God and he loved people. What? <laughs> you know, so he can't explain everything. There's somebody else there. I'm not saying he should have been the primary pastor or missionary out there, but he could have been a missionary. I don't doubt that at all. And so what I'm saying is, as you look at yourself and you think about those things you like to do, don't assume that that limits you. That actually empowers you in ways that others will not be empowered. Another story I love to tell is about a missionary to Brazil. And I talked to another missionary who had served there 20 years. The, the elder missionary had been there at that time, probably 30. I, I'm sorry, I don't know much about how it all ended. I think he stayed on the field until maybe 40 years on the field. And I asked the other missionary who was... I think, based on how I know him, quite good in Portuguese. I said to him, how did brother so-and-so do with the language? And he looked at me, and he kind of had a smirk on his face. And he said, you know, he never really did master Portuguese. <laughs> but he said, the people know he loves them. And he, he has a ministry. They'll listen. You know, 
So you may not be the most gifted linguistically, and you still can minister cross-culturally. All they need to know, you, you know, there's things you can learn. You need to lean on others and get help and stuff, but that does not mean that you can't be useful. And really creating false criteria for what you can do is not good. I think finding out where your gifting is is important. I think that finding out what you can do well is important. And I think that's where you'll shine best. But I don't think that, that you need to think that because it's not what others usually do in that ministry. Um, I was actually surprised when I, when I read a book about a, a, a man who had the gift of mercy, who was a pastor. Because I thought, you know, that's kind of a quiet gift. And it's, it's really, you know, I can see the caring part of it. That's not a problem. Um, but I wondered, and, and I thought, man, this guy was amazing. You know, he really, that was his gifting. And, and he worked mostly with retirees in Florida. And, and wow, how many funerals did he do? You know, he was God's man in God's place to meet the needs of those people at that time in their lives. What a blessing. You know, you put some profit in there. Imagine how many heartaches you could have had in that case. You know, if the prophet was not spirit-filled, you know, because the prophet just, he wants the message and he wants to bulldoze it home. And, and we all need that. That's not a bad thing. But in certain cases, another gift fits better. And God knows what he's doing. So, you know, and, and when I look at pastors, the pastors that I have seen, I used to think, I would have normally thought that a pastor would normally be an exhorter or a prophet. Um, probably because I had, you know, been under some like that. But I've discovered that they can, they can have any of those gifts. And if that's what God wants them to do, they can do it to his glory. And it'll be great what he does through them. Um, it's, it's not a bad thing. Uh, my dad was an interim pastor for, I think, two, two and a half years when I was, I don't know, 12 to 14 or somewhere in there. And uh, I remember the deacon. I, I have such fond memories of that brief time in that little teeny church of 12 people. And, uh, and my memories did not come back until years later. Like 20 years later, I began to think about that place and the people that impacted me there. The deacon of that church, I'm sure he had the gift of teaching. He was a student of the word. He just loved the Bible. His old farmer guy, I loved the guy. He drove a Cadillac, an old Cadillac. He used to brag, the best car for a farmer is a Cadillac. He said, they're reliable. He said, you buy them after the rich people are done with them. They don't want them more than two or three years anyway. He said, and then you can, you can put your calf in the trunk. You can, you know... <laughs> It was great. I mean, and it's true. He had straw in the trunk of this old Cadillac he was driving. And, you know, but, but you go in his house and his Bible's just about worn out. I'm wondering which one that was, you know, what number he's on. He was already probably, I was young. He, he looked old. I'd say he was in his 60s, maybe 70s. I don't know. He wasn't very old. But, but, you know, at that time I thought he was. And, and he knew a lot about the scriptures. He loved to explain things. And he said about my dad, he said he's not much of a preacher, but at least he loves the people. <laughs> And I thought, well, that's good. <laughs> um, one, of the, one of the things that he said, a brother Jones told us about a missionary to the Arctic. And uh, he said he didn't shine his shoes. His clothes were wrinkled. He drove up in a rattle-trap, dirty car. Looked like a typical, you know, what people would say as a stereotype of a missionary coming in. And when he got to speak, he stuttered and would struggle. And, and brother Jones said, he said, I, I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, spit it out, spit it out. You know, and, you know, we can identify with that to some degree. And then you know he said, I can't think of a guy that would fit better in the place where God put him. Now, I'm extending this. This is not Brother Jones that I'm commenting on or quoting anymore. 
I can imagine that where he works in the Arctic, things are pretty dirty. And you bet, he probably doesn't care about dirt. And it fits in just fine. And you know how much we like to listen? I mean, we feel sympathy for somebody when they stutter, and so we listen more closely. You suppose God sent him there just so that somebody would listen to him that would have never listened to one of us who likes to say complete sentences? You know, it's amazing what God can do with you, even if you stutter. It's not a big issue. Stuttering can be a tool of God. If he makes the blind and he makes the seeing and he makes the stuttering tongue, can he use them for his glory? So, you know, there may be somebody here that just feels like you don't fit, you don't know what you're supposed to do. I don't know what you're supposed to do either. But I want to encourage you that you can do. You can do what the Lord wants you to do. And and you can do it with the gifting he gave you. And, and I... I I know that you, you would know it was wrong to be jealous of other people's gifts, but the fact is, you would never like their gifts anyway. You know, it, it wouldn't fit for me to have a different gift. It's, you know, the Lord made me the way he made me, and he made you the way he made you. I think about the 12 disciples. I want to ask you a question. What could you tell me about Andrew? You might be able to say that he found his brother and brought him. But that's about all you'd be able to tell me from the scriptures, right? What, I, what my point is in this is that it's okay to be unknown, and you can still do God's will. What about Philip? Okay, he told Nathaniel about the Messiah. What else? What about Bartholomew or Nathaniel? Jesus said he was without guile. Do you know anything else about him? Know what he did? Know how many people he won to the Lord? How many baptized? How many churches he started? We don't know anything about these people. What about, I mean, hardly anything. Do we know? Thomas. Okay, we do know he was willing to risk his life for Christ. He said, let us go and die with him also. And then we also know that he had some baptistic tendencies because he was doubtful. <laughs> That's just facetiousness. I know he was a Baptist, but I don't think that doubtfulness is actually a criteria at all. But he was probably, I, I'm just guessing, maybe he was a teacher as far as gifting goes. He wanted evidence. He wanted to know. I don't know. But... What, what else do we know about Thomas? You know, you can go back and, and if you trust the rewriters of history that, that uh, have been christened by Rome, you might find something that may have happened. But, but we, we don't know from the scriptures. What about Matthew? Well, we know he wrote the book of Matthew and he was a tax collector. A little bit about him, but not much. What do you know about how he served the Lord? You know, it's okay not to be known about how you serve the Lord. It's okay. Just serve the Lord. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether anybody ever finds out because the records on earth are pretty pitiful anyway, and the ones in heaven have no errors. So, you know, just do what the Lord has called you to do, and, and, and it's a great opportunity. Uh, what about Simon the Canaanite or Simon Zelotes um, in the scriptures? Or maybe, we don't know. I mean, you think of this guy. Look how many names he had. Lebeus, Thaddeus, Judas of James, Judas not Iscariot, he's called in the scriptures. And some people believe this is the Jude that wrote the book of Jude. I'm not convinced of that. But, I mean, what do you know about it? So it's okay to be a nobody in the will of God. And uh, nobodies in the will of God are the type of people God calls. Okay, we've got Peter. Yeah, he was well known. And how many of you would like it if there were 12 Peters in your church? Okay, so there's, there's a reason why there was one Peter. Okay, there's only so much that you can take. And uh, the fact is, Peter is very similar to many of us. Um, what about Matthias? I think that Matthias was legitimately chosen to replace Judas Iscariot. But you know the last time you hear about him? At his election. 
wow, that was a pretty illustrious career. <laughs> and that's probably what most of ours will be as well. By earthly criteria, it really doesn't matter that nobody ever writes it down and nobody ever knows. If you're called of God, and all of you are who are saved, then you're called to the task, and you do the task, and let the Lord record, and not worry about how much gets recorded. Now there's another point I'd like to make, and that's that sowers and reapers are both equally valued by our Lord. This is a interesting thing to think about, and I don't pretend to understand it all, but it's really easy to give more credit or to respect more highly the one who leads someone to the Lord than the one who prepared the ground. Partly because we don't know who prepared the ground in many cases. And we do know who might have led them to the Lord. But I'd like to quote some verses. You can turn if you want to. I'll read them to you. Job, sorry, John. I saw the H and it looked like a B. John 4, 30 to 39. John 4, 30. Then they, that is the Samaritans who heard the testimony of the woman at the well, went out of the city and came unto him. Now I'm dropping out a portion of it. I'll start back at verse 36. Now Jesus talks to the twelve and he says this, And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored. Who were those men? The prophets. We're not talking decades of ministry. We're talking centuries of ministry. The prophets. The prophets labored. Millennia. And you have entered into their labors. Wow. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed. Jesus said that the sower and the reaper are going to rejoice together. I think that for all of us, it's a good thing if we have ministries that allow us to be involved in the sowing and the reaping. But I think you'll find in your life, probably based on your gifting, that you lean towards one or the other more so. And I would warn those who are the reapers not to think that they're all that great, because God gives the increase. And it's easy to think, wow, you know, look what I did. And I would also warn those that do the sowing not to be discouraged. It's, somebody's got to do it. You know, you, it, it's not usual that somebody hears the gospel the first time and gets saved. Now, it does happen, but it's not typical. Often there's a whole lot of work that went in before that. And so... I would just encourage you, as far as the Lord Jesus is concerned, if you're doing what he called you to do, the reaping is no more valuable than the sowing, and the sowing is no more valuable than the reaping, and each, you're going to rejoice together. The fact is, God's going to accomplish what he intended to accomplish, and that's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 3, starting at 6, he said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. And then it continues. Another thing I would encourage you in, all of you can spread the gospel, and you need to be concerned about it, as we said in the first hour today. 
that focus on eternal things, on heavenly things, is what will motivate you to do it. I would encourage you not to be put off and to find, according to your gifting, a way to explain some of the Bible terminology that people need to understand to get saved. And to realize that often people have messed up ideas of what words mean. So when you're talking to people, don't be afraid to ask questions. And to say, you know, the scriptures say that you have to believe. How do you understand belief? And then correct them. Tell them. It means not merely to rely, but also to commit oneself to Christ. And so, you know, think about the words like justification. We have to deal with this word because um, in Roman Catholicism, justification is, is interpreted totally against the scriptures in the sense that they think that it means to become righteous rather than to be declared righteous. And so there, there can be misunderstandings. That many people we speak to today wouldn't even have a clue what it means. And so you have to understand that when you're speaking to people, you know, try to figure out. In any case, at least speak for Christ. But if you can learn more and more of how to explain things, it'll help you with different people that have different understandings. You will learn from them too as they tell you what they would think that means. And then you can correct what they say if you listen carefully um, in church and when things are being taught in Sunday school, you can pick up an awful lot. But sometimes people can sit in church for decades and not pick up much. And, and it's not always because it's not being taught. So my encouragement is that it is important and to, to put the time into that. Think it through. Think through the ramifications of, and find a brother or a sister in Christ who has a different gifting. Find a teacher in your church and, and have them explain it to you. The teacher probably has already researched it and, or, or would be more than happy to do so. And so you can, you can leverage the other people to find a way to know how to explain things. If you, you know, we, 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 we kind of dream, we think, we hope that maybe we could reach out somehow to some of the international people that are being imported and that come to colleges and universities or come to work in the United States and, and have a ministry to some of them, a cross-cultural ministry. And like I said, I would highly recommend that you read what Brother Forney wrote in the syllabus that I was reading the first day that I was camping out in the office back here. And... Uh, Learn about that cross-cultural stuff. But you're going to have to learn the biblical terminology for things like propitiation and justification and faith and repentance in order to lead them. I mean, you're talking to people that are coming into this with a blank slate. You know, they may be from a, a Hindu background or from a whatever. They may be from an American background. And and you just, you got to start at ground one and find. And, and by the way, the teacher will not be the one who finds a nice concise definition for it that's easy for people to understand. Someone else is going to have to do that. They'll get a real complex one that gets all the bases covered. Okay, So we need each other to come up with a, a way to, to communicate things. And if you could work like in a ministry with some, some foreign nationals and have people with different gifting and sit down, and pray, talk, think things over. What is your gifting? You know, there may be somebody involved in that that's a server. They get their biggest kick out of making sure all the refreshments are ready, the chairs are in place, the place is clean, the heat's turned on on time, and they like they'll sit back and pray for you. But they're not really into talking that much, maybe. You know, they're real friendly. They like to be with the people, but that's not necessarily their there. And there may be somebody else that just is is wants to talk. But man, all that other stuff. Well, who would want to do that? You know. 
And so find out what your giftings are and what you can do with different uh, spiritual gifts so that you can reach the people. I would also think, I don't think this is a big issue at all here, but um, as, we, as we talk about the gospel, this is, this is a hard thing for me because I wish, I wish that you could just have, I don't know why I wish this, is, that's something in me, but I wish I could just have a gospel presentation that was always the same. And lots of people try to do that, but you can't do that. Everybody you deal with is different. And you can't just blurt out the same thing and expect them to understand it all. And as we, I would say there are patterns in the New Testament of dealing with Jews that they, well, I don't use the word always, but I'll put it in quotation marks. They always started with Jewish history. Okay? So there are some patterns. And of course, we've got to get the death, burial, and resurrection in there. We've got to define the terms and stuff like that. But I would discourage the idea of, of having a pat presentation where you feel trapped that you have to do it that way. And uh, what it's, it's hard, but you, you know, you'll just call on the Lord and say, okay, now what do I say next? Um, because you don't necessarily know. You don't know where this is going to go. You don't know when to stop talking with somebody that you think is really not all that interested, but they're willing to talk to you. You know, there's lots of things you don't understand where you just need the Lord, but I would encourage that, that, you, not, that you not feel as if just memorizing something Memorizing the scripture, yes, but not just memorizing a pat plan for each time. Another thing I want to emphasize is that every single region that's mentioned in the Great Commission is equally important. When in Acts 1.8, God said this, Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Every single one of those regions is essential. So, it's not right to elevate foreign missionaries above local missionaries. Really, you know, there, there's, a, there's, a different, there's a lot of things that are different in some ways, but the essentials are the same. And if you are not sent to go far away, you are at least sent to go nearby. And so, every single one of them is important. You are no less important to your Savior. You are no less useful to God. And, and it's really important that you get that. Um, everybody should shine where God put him and not be jealous of those who go elsewhere and not think that they are inherently better or different. It, what's different is the coordinates in relation to the home base. And the cultures can be different. Other than that, Really, it's just as important to get to Jerusalem and Judea as it is to get to the uttermost parts. So don't, don't let that derail you or make you think that you're less important to what God wants to be done. I want to go through a couple of things just because of my spiritual gifting. I'm going to do this fast because it will bore seven, no, six-sevenths of you. Okay, one thing I wanted to say is that early missionaries, the amount of time that they were in foreign places, I started going through Acts just just eating it up and trying to study through it. And what I found is that it appears that sometimes Paul was in a place, possibly three weeks, three Sabbath days in Thessalonica, sometimes a few months in length. He was in Corinth about a year and a half, according to Acts 18, 1, 5, and 11. And he was in Ephesus in the vicinity for three years, maybe 80, 53, and so forth. Anyway, none of those were what we would call career missionaries in the sense of going. Now, there's some things that are different than Acts. There's no record of them 
having preached in anything other than Hebrew and Greek. In other words, when Paul would speak in the synagogue, he may have spoken in Aramaic or Hebrew. I don't know about that. But then in Greek, because Greek was spoken all over. So there's extra things that affect you when you've got to learn another language in order to preach the gospel. And, and I, I love that idea because I love languages. Um, but that was something different. Another thing I looked at was how many people on, say, Paul's missionary team were married? Think about that one. What we know is that Paul was not married. But do we know anything about Barnabas? Well, maybe he wasn't either because it says, is it only uh, that we are not allowed to? And that may have included Barnabas. But what about John Mark? What about Silas? What about Timothy? Peter was married. And this is an interesting thing because I was thinking, well, Lord, how did you do it? With the guys that were married, we know from Paul's writings under the Holy Spirit that they couldn't, that, that the one who's married has to care for his wife. And so there is a limit to the ministry, actually, because of that. And a single person actually has a broader potential in ministry if that's the gifting of God to remain single. Single. So I looked at Peter, and I found an interesting thing. You know, he wrote the book of First Peter from Babylon. Now, that's either Babylon over there on the Euphrates, or else it's Rome. But either way, it's a long way from his home, and he was married. So... There's, there's things to think about there in relation to that. After us having been on the field for 27 years and thinking about all the dynamics of, of family and missions and, and all that kind of stuff, that's why these questions came up. I'm thinking, okay, how did they do it? Philip the Evangelist was married and because we know he had the four daughters. Um, and it says in the scriptures in Matthew, first, first Corinthians 9, 5, it says that the Lord's brothers were married. Jesus' brothers, his, his, his mother's children. Um, so, so that's interesting as to, as to what they were. But I just gave that to you because I like details. Now, I want to say one more thing. Well, it's actually two things. Don't under-expect and don't over-expect. Okay, my main purpose is to motivate you to, to, to use what God has given you to spread the gospel. But I want to say these things because you can't under-expect. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, in other words, you can say, ah, I can't accomplish much. Paul I'm, I'm ashamed next to the Apostle Paul. I could never have written this. The Holy Spirit would have never inspired me to write this if I had lived then and been one of them. He said, I labored more abundantly than they all. What a statement. How many of us could say we've labored more abundantly than all the other believers we know? I can find some believers I know have worked harder than I have. Um, what a testimony. But then he said, and yet not I, but the grace of God. So you see the blending of, of his will and his, his commitment to work hard, but still he didn't take the credit for it. Paul knew he wouldn't have been that hard a worker if it wasn't for God. And I would encourage you by God's grace to be a hard worker for him. Uh, don't under-expect. Also, I like the passage in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 33, starting at verse 3, where it says, Call unto me, that's prayer, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And then later, if you, if you look down at verse 8 in Jeremiah 33, it says, And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, whereby they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities, whereby they have sinned, and whereby they have transgressed against me. The prayer... Uh, this is speaking about Israel, I realize, and I'm, I'm applying it to us. But the prayer was, I'm going to show you things you don't, you, you can't imagine, great and mighty things which thou knowest not. 
And there's great sin here, but God intervened in a great way with great forgiveness. And then there was great joy. And it was because he said, call. He didn't say, I'm going to do this if you don't call. So we need to do that. But we need to not under-expect. I also would warn not to over-expect. Some people do that. And it can lead to self-fulfilling prophecies where someone will say they're planting a church and they feel as if by the first anniversary they need to have 40 people or something. And sometimes they take shortcuts on the gospel. Um, or they do some unethical things, maybe pull some people from a church that they shouldn't have pulled them from or whatever. Uh, so you need to be careful about over-expecting as well. Uh, Paul said in Romans 12.3, I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. It's good to go into any ministry knowing that if it depends on you, you will accomplish absolutely zero. And if anything is greater than zero, it's God. I think that over-expectations sometimes lead people to burnout too. Um, and just a failure that, you know, they end up quitting because they weren't able to meet an unrealistic expectation. Um, and so that would not be wise. And I would end with this. Don't hide the light, even when there's great light, when there's great risk involved. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, nor of Christ. Matthew 5, a, a nice illustration that our Lord gave us. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Then the illustration. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. In other words, you're that city. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all them that are in the house. Let your light so shine. Your light must shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul, Romans 1, 16 and following, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. There are times when we'd like to hide and we'd like to isolate. We would like to avoid risk. There may be a thousand different reasons why we want, you know, we could find a thousand different bushels for our candle. Okay? And the Lord is saying, none of them work. So let your light shine before men. So God uses people who have various spiritual gifts. Sowers and reapers are both equally valued by the Lord. Understand the gospel and how you present it. If you learn and meditate on God's word, you'll understand it better and be able to communicate it better. Each region mentioned in, the, in Acts 1.8 is equally important. Wherever God puts you, that's just as important as where he puts somebody else. Our neighbors will spend eternity somewhere, just like the people in a high-rise apartment in Beijing and the folks in the Arctic North, the people living in the parched deserts of Africa. So go somewhere. Every one of those regions is reached with a go. Long-term and short-term missions are both valid methods. The goal is to get the gospel to everyone, whether you travel far or not, but you must go somewhere. Whether you stay a long time or not, but you must go. Don't underexpect. Labor abundantly. Where sin abounds, grace abounds. Much more. God 
wants all to be saved, who would have all men to come to repentance. Don't overexpect. Faithfulness is better than setting numerical goals. And don't underexpect. And don't hide the light. Find your role and fulfill it for the glory of God. For the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved you and gave himself for you. And encourage each other. As you look at your brothers and sisters in Christ, think about what their gifting is too, where they shine. You can help them. You know, it's going to probably be different, you know, to some degree, to some people, than yours. And, uh, and you can encourage them and be a blessing to helping them to know how to best do what God's called them to do. So the Lord bless you. It's been a wonderful privilege to be with you. And I hope that he's used his word to, to your edification. Pastor.